Hi, I'm Carmen LeBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LeBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning again. It's the 22nd of June, which means we are like already on the downhill slide to Christmas. Oh, you have to bring that up already? <laughs> yes. Well, you know, Christmas. I was well, focusing I, I on know. Christmas fall. I, I understand the days are getting shorter <laughs> and all that or will, but uh, still. It's pretty imperceptible at this point. I know. I mean, I right? It yeah. really is. Yeah. But um, there you go. A slightly less light today if you're living in the Northern Hemisphere, which I guess if you're living in the Southern Hemisphere, slightly more light. There you go. And they're happy for that. There you go. There you go. Um, All right. Good morning. I'm Carmen LeBurge. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We just had a great first hour. If you missed it, you can go grab the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts or later today directly at MyFaithRadio.com. We also have an app. It's called the Faith Radio app. It's a, you know, it's a a clever name since we're Faith Radio to have a Faith Radio app. There you go. Um, This is Forgiveness Month here at Faith Radio. If you need some forgiveness resources, We've got a lot of them posted right now at MyFaithRadio.com. Forgiveness is not only essential in terms of the restoration of our relationship with God, but it is essential in our relationships with one another. And so if you need some resourcing related to that, we'd love to um, to share those with you. Um, yesterday was episode four of the January 6th committee's public hearings. Um, If you are like most people, you did not watch them. So let me uh, tell you what happened. It was a day that was focused on uh, the former President Trump's pressure on state officials and election workers in several places across the country. They offered their testimony. um, And I would say that it was uh, it, it was it was pretty damning. Um, of the former president. And so it's um, it's sort of clear to me what um, what the committee is seeking to do, which is lay out a case that um, the Justice Department could use if it decided to to bring criminal charges against the president. I don't actually anticipate that happening, but, you know, I do think that's what they have in mind. The Texas Republican Party took an interesting action over the weekend that I don't hear a lot of people talking about, but I find um, very interesting they actually, first of all, there's a lot of Republicans in Texas, and the Texas Republican Party is a pretty um, influential group uh, in terms of a voting block in that state. And over the weekend, they made it their official position of the Texas Republican Party that President Biden was illegitimately elected. And therefore, in their um, opinion, Texas must vote on whether to secede. Um, I know we have, like in the past, talked about, oh, you know, Uh, different portions of states or whole states seceding. But let's just remember that that is actually um, what foments civil war. And so I just think that we can't talk casually about secession from the union. Um, Let's be pursuing unity, not division. Let's be pursuing unity, not division. One more headline out of Texas. And this one just so heartbreaking to continue to get details and information um, out of the Robb Elementary School shooting um, that took place in Uvalde, Texas. 
the head of the Texas State Police offered a very um, emphatic rebuke of the police response to the shooting, um, calling it an abject failure, describing it as running counter to decades of training um, and laying just full responsibility um, at the feet, not only of the officer in charge, um, but of the of the other officers who were there as well. And so um, there's going to be more on that. It is the uh, it is the judgment of this particular individual, the head of the state uh, police in Texas, that um, the shooter could have been stopped within three minutes of breaching the school grounds. Um, and instead, we all know that horrifically um, his uh, his slaughter of the innocents there um, went on for more than an hour. Um, it's very tragic. Let's continue to be upholding um, those families in our prayers, that community in our prayers, the churches in Uvalde in our prayers. Um, it, this is a grief that does not go away. This is going to be generational grief like the city of Bethlehem after the slaughter of the innocents in the days of Jesus. Like this is real grief and it's really going to go on for a really long time. So let's see, continuing to uphold them in our prayers. Heather Zeiger joins us next. She's a science writer. I'm straight up going to ask, has China detected signals from aliens? Yeah, I rewatched the movie uh, Contact from 1997, Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey. Because apparently, you know, we've been contacting with aliens for a long time. There you go. There you go. All right. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Heather Zeiger is back. She's a freelance science writer out of Dallas, Texas. She's a research analyst with the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. Um, She has advanced degrees in chemistry and bioethics, and she writes at the intersection of ethics, society, and technology. You can find her at heatherzeiger.com. Heather, welcome back. Hi, Carmen. Thank you for putting up with my um, often very pedantic questions about science. Has China detected signals from aliens? That's my lead question today from space.com. Yeah, so this was a, this was a big deal, and then it kind of petered out. So here's what happened. Sci- uh, China has something called the Sky Eye Telescope. It's uh, the type of telescope is a fast telescope. It it is great in that it is the single largest radio um, telescope in the world. So it's one huge single satellite dish, and it's located in a rural part of China. Here's the problem, though. With such a big dish, they can pick up signals that they haven't heard before. So what they heard were some interesting fast burst radio signals that they hadn't heard before. So Chinese state media puts out this article about, hey, maybe we've heard from aliens. And then that article was taken down. It turns out um, the head of that program with Beijing Normal University, he said that it's most likely RFI, radio frequency interference, rather than alien signals. So here's what radio frequency interference is. You and I have probably experienced this. If you've ever been on your cell phone, especially some of these a uh, little bit older smartphones, and you're heating up something in your microwave and you start hearing some weird static, that's interference. 
So what they're hearing is probably more like interference from like cell phones, TV transmitters, satellites, computers, that kind of thing. Having said that, they've never heard it before because their satellite is so sensitive. So turns out it's probably most likely not aliens, probably just interference from Earth. <laughs> okay. Thank you for clearing that up. Now. Yeah, sure. Um, all right. So I have been fascinated by the ongoing conversation that was, I mean, we talk about AI a lot. We talk about artificial intelligence. It's, it is now almost ubiquitous. It's part of virtually everything that we do. It influences almost every um, aspect of our lives. Um, and a Google engineer was having a quote-unquote conversation with an AI known as Lambda, and Lambda answered a question that led the engineer to believe that this particular AI had become sentient. Let's talk about sentience. Um, What is that? Yeah, so sentience is one of those things. It's a little hard to define, yet you when you talk to another human being, you know that human being is sentient. So there's a kind of self-awareness, but there's also this deeper understanding. So like Lamont, he's the Google engineer. He was talking to Lambda um, in, in a sense of like saying something to this language learning program that they have. And it responded back um, not wanting to be turned off or afraid of its life. I don't remember exactly what it said. It said it had a soul or he believed that it had a soul based on it not wanting to be shut off. So that's kind of the setup. He decided that, you know, the, the AI should have some rights or it has a soul. So it should be given some, some sort of, uh, uh, I guess he wants some sort of rights or something for the AI. Anyway, he was put on administrative leave. I will tell you, most of the AI community says no, um, AI does not have sentience, at least not these algorithms. And uh, very few of them actually think that this is possible. Uh, A lot of them say, you know, that old Turing test that we've all heard of, well, there's a lot of flaws in that, and that really these algorithms can't achieve the kind of sentience that someone like Blake Lamont is saying they have. All right. So on the other end of what is life and who has rights and um, moral um, moral suasion, we're going to talk next about the status of Happy the Elephant. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. Happy the Elephant. Happy the Elephant is a longtime resident of the Bronx Zoo. Is Happy the Elephant a person? That was the question before the Supreme Court in the state of New York, whether or not Happy the Elephant should be granted personhood status under U.S. law, um, which was being argued not by Happy, but by people who inserted themselves into the process and declared that Happy the Elephant would be better off if she were allowed to make her own autonomous decisions about where to live and what to eat and what to do. Um, We are talking with science writer Heather Zeiger. You can find her at heatherzeiger.com. Heather, um, the question about animals and people and personhood and actually even the personhood or person status 
of things like rivers. This is an interesting intersection of conversation between science and faith. Yeah, this really is because in one sense, you know, you want to respect creation. You want to respect the fact that, you know, an elephant like Happy the Elephant is uh, has the ability to feel, uh, you know, can feel emotions that, you know, Happy is uh, an intelligent elephant. Elephants are actually very smart. Having said that, there's a problem when we start trying to give animals the status of human beings, because we think that that is lifting the animal, the animal status up. But what it also does is it brings human status down, if you will. And really the most respectful thing for animals is to appreciate them for all of their animalness. You know, I appreciate my cat for all of her catness, but she isn't she isn't a human being, you know, I'm, I, I can lock her out of the room and I'm not going to get in trouble for being mean to my cat. And in the same way, we can appreciate Happy the Elephant for all of it, all of its being an elephant, the way that the elephant was created without having to in, put on Happy some sort of uh, human characteristics or to give Happy human rights. So I do think the New York, uh, New York Supreme Court made a correct call here by saying that she is not legally a person and admitting she, you know, happy has some, is very impressive, but that legally she is not a person. So she cannot claim, um, hey, uh, I believe they were saying that she could not claim habeas corpus or which is, you know, a, a legal procedural vehicle where you can uh, say that she's been illegally detained at the zoo. That in fact, um, she, is fine at the zoo. She does not have to be released. So well, I, I think they, the court. Okay, let me, the right let's thing. just play that out for just a second because mm-hmm. I just am kind of wondering what people had in mind here. Like, did they just think that if she was granted personhood, <laughs> that then she's just going to be let out because she doesn't know how to find her own food or her own accommodations? And frankly, you know, the Bronx is not a safe place for an animal to just roam around, and an animal or a, an elephant roaming around isn't safe for the people who live in the Bronx. Like, I. Like the whole thing at one level is a little bit ludicrous. And yet this was processed through courts of law all the way to the Supreme Court of New York. Like this is not a minor conversation that's being that's happening amongst lawyers, even though many of us across the country might roll our eyes. Yeah. So I think the idea was that she would live in some sort of elephant sanctuary Um, And so I'm not exactly sure how you can ask the elephant, hey, would you rather live here or rather live there? Because um, she's been living at the Bronx Zoo since 1977. So in one sense, I'm wondering, wouldn't it be cruel to take this elephant out of this environment that she has lived in for so long? Also at the Bronx Zoo, and uh, and I know uh, where I live here in Dallas and then other zoos, uh, a lot of times they have experts who come in and try to recreate an environment that is most suitable for the animals that are there. They're not just kept in cages. That's not really how the zoos operate these days. They try to put these animals in a good environment that is conducive for their for their the habitat that they would most thrive in. So I'm not entirely sure what, what how this would play out or what exactly happy would be doing next exactly well happy's going to continue to live happily uh at the bronx zoo so let's um let's talk about this um article at bigthink.com on the on this conversation about taboo science 
we recognize that technology, no matter what it is, can be used sort of for good or evil. Um, it's about the application of it and the use of it. Um, and, and so this is a conversation about regulating what kinds of scientific research or the edges that might be pushed forward by science. Um, this is really your wheelhouse, the intersection of ethics and, um, and science. Can you just talk with us a little bit yeah. about the conversation that's taking place? Yeah, so <clears throat> with uh, this is something I think about a lot is I actually uh, think that the best science is done within moral constraints. And some scientists, some folks think that, oh, no, the best science is done when you don't put any constraints on it and you let, you let people research freely. And so there's a balance there, right? You don't want to be so restrictive that scientists can't try new things, but you also want to have moral constraints. And, you know, we, we saw the, the horrific uh, ends that could happen if you don't have moral constraints in the Nuremberg trials, right? So that was out, that was World War II. Um, scientists in Germany were conducting these horrific experiments on people that were in concentration camps, and the, so this, and the, it was it was cruel. And we had many laws and um, uh, things that came out of that that give people. Um, the consent laws is really what came out of a lot of those trials. So you, you want moral constraints on science. So now we're getting into this world of like, okay, we can manipulate DNA. We can do some sort of genetic engineering. What kind of constraints should we have on that? Because we want to reap the benefits, but we don't want to, we want to mitigate those risks. Hmm. Okay. So the mitigation of risks is important. The protection mm-hmm. of um, of conscience and um, and not going beyond sort of what we're prepared as a people uh, to deal with and handle. I think those are all good conversations to have. Science is not good nor evil. It's a tool. Can you kind of remind us, I know this is goes like way back to like conversations we should have had in like sixth grade, but like what is science? And when we talk about the scientific process of inquiry, like it is something that Christians actively engage in. Like we, it is safe for us to pursue the truth of things because we ultimately know that, you know, God is there and he's uh, He's allowing us to discover and there's no, there's no place that we could go and no question that we might ask where God's not, you know, going to have been there before us. So can you talk a little bit about the scientific pursuit and process? Right. So the scientific process, and, and let's just be clear, because sometimes in the media, this is confused a little bit. There's a difference between science as a process and scientists. And sometimes they'll conflate the two, like, oh, you're against science. And it's like, well, maybe, maybe I disagree with a scientist, right? So we need to be a little bit careful there. So the process of science, this is the idea of asking a question, hey, how does this work? Maybe posing a hypothesis and then going out and testing that hypothesis, and then making a conclusion. That's kind of like your old science fair topic. You know, maybe in, in sixth, seventh grade, eighth grade, you did science fair. And this, is, this was the process you did. Why we as Christians can really appreciate this is that the scientific endeavor comes out of the idea that the world is coherent, that the world isn't random, 
that we can wake up the next day and gravity is still operating the same as it did yesterday. So this is, this is something that comes out of an idea that, you know, God created this world, that this world operates with laws that are, that are consistent, coherent, and knowable. So the scientific endeavor is actually, a, 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 I think, a great way to explore this amazing world that we, uh, that we live in and that God created. Such a helpful reminder. Thank you so much for joining us. That's Heather Zeiger. You can find her at heatherzeiger.com. She's a science writer, um, and she's helping us just understand what's going on at the intersection of ethics, society, and technology. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Post-traumatic stress is um, something that plagues, affects many, many, many people in the culture today. And when we have traditionally talked about post-traumatic stress, we have talked about members of the military who have served um, in war zones. Today, we talk about post-traumatic stress in uh, a number of other environments as well, including let's say, the children and the teachers and the members of the community, the families of Uvalde, Texas. Um, And I could list a thousand other communities as well. We would be talking today about the 100 million refugees, people who cannot return to their homes um, and are now living um, either internally displaced in their own countries or across borders, unable to go back. Post-traumatic stress exists for people who are sexually assaulted, uh, victims of crime. Trauma is real. And post-traumatic stress is the way we talk about how that trauma affects people in an ongoing way. For those of us who um, do not suffer from PTSD, but live with those who do, We want to know how it feels. And um, I don't know anybody better to talk about this than Steve West. The book is The Bronze Scar. We've talked with Steve on a prior occasion about this. But as we um, find ourselves in PTSD Awareness Month, I thought, you know what? It's a good time to bring Steve back on and talk about this again. We're going to talk about how PTSD feels and how those of us um, who are living with people who suffer from PTSD can come alongside them in these days. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Praise God we don't have to hide scars. They just strengthen our wounds and they soften our hearts. Steve West joins us now. Steve has served for 28 years as a military chaplain. He has served as an EMT, a city police officer, a hospital chaplain. He knows firsthand how PTSD feels. He joins us today to talk with us again about his book, The Bronze Scar. Steve, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you, Carmen. It's wonderful to be back with you, and I appreciate the opportunity. 
Absolutely. Um, remind us a little bit about um, this topic. Um, what is PTSD and how many of our neighbors and friends are suffering um, in this way? Well, PTSD is something that causes us to react or act in different ways than we normally would from trauma, from things in our life that have affected us. There's a, there's a big difference between PTS and PTSD, but in reality, most people have post-traumatic stress to some degree or another, uh, something that affects their life from the tragedies or trauma they've experienced or seen from other people. And so it could be anywhere from just making them sad or changing the way they do things. Uh, It doesn't usually get to a a point where it's a disruption in their life enough to be a diagnosable disorder. But for the most part, we all take things from our past that does things to us today. And we talk about PTSD. um, I just think we have an increasing awareness that it can happen to anyone. Uh, And I think historically, when we thought about PTSD, we have thought about people who have literally gone to war. And today we talk about PTSD um, in relationship to people who are traumatized right here at home by a variety of um, experiences, including I'll just, you know, I use the shooting in, in Uvalde as an example, because not only is that a traumatic event for those who experience it firsthand, but that is a re-triggering event for people who have um, had similar experiences. Absolutely. Uh, so many things can trigger us back to the times when we had trauma in our own life, especially through seeing and hearing about trauma from others. Right now, as you said, there are so many things that are happening that are terrible events, uh, just like the shootings. And there are so many of those that are going on right now. It's sad. But in reality, what it does is it rec- it calls to us a reminder that there are people who are hurting in so many terrible ways. Nothing can compare with some of these terrible things that we've seen uh, in the last year that have happened uh, in our country and around the world. Uh, And we can't understand exactly how it feels unless maybe we have something that's caused us to feel that way. So uh, one of the great things is it's brought more of an awareness. And if we're going to understand it, then we need to be aware of what's going on and how it's affecting people. And an increasing percentage of the population, you know, is is exposed to trauma, have traumatic events. Not everyone who experiences trauma has post-traumatic stress. Is that true or false? That is absolutely true. That's what I'm talking about when I say post-traumatic stress. Uh, Carmen, there are things that you could probably say in your life that have happened that cause you uh, concern. It causes you, like I said, the sadness. Uh, And these things can be much more than military. The reality is is that uh, loss of loved ones, trauma that we see to others like is being played out right now 
verbal and sexual assault, abusive relationships, being uprooted, and the and really the the list just goes on and on. And so it helps us to be more aware if we can understand kind of how it feels in some way, not that we are putting ourselves in other people's place, but that kind of understanding about feelings helps us to connect. We're talking with Steve West. We're talking about the bronze scar. You can find it at bronzescar.com. Um, you've learned um, you've learned some things. You've heard from a lot of people um, since since the book came out. So I know that you are working on a second edition. What are some of the things that people have indicated that they wanted more information on, that they wanted to know more about? The main thing uh, is the part about faith. In the book, I share how PTSD affects my relationship with God. And I talk about in the book how PTSD has caused me to lose my intimacy with God. And that's where I left it instead of going to solutions. A lot of people ask, well, why do you just talk about the problems themselves? What about the solutions? The book was not meant to be a problem solver other than to make us more aware. Uh, what it's done for me, and I'll give you the rest of the story now, is not that loss of intimacy with God, because in reality, I've been too focused on the feeling part and what God's dealt with me and, and what people want to know, and this will be part of the revised edition that comes out, uh, is that it felt like my relationship with God was further away, even though I love him just as much, want to serve him. He loves me. In reality, I was thinking about the feelings and you know how feelings can uh, be distorted in reality. The truth is that relationship is not gone. I still have intimacy with God, but what God has taught me even more over this last year is that it's not based on your feelings. It's not based on what you're thinking at the moment, because we all know, and we've said many ways, God never moves. Mm -hmm. So he hasn't gotten closer away from me, and I haven't moved. It's just that this type of thing, trauma, and especially with PTSD, causes us to have our feelings numbed. And so it doesn't take away our relationship. And that's a big one that I think that uh, is a message that I really want to be focusing on and getting out now is the PTSD hasn't taken away my relationship with God. I just can't feel it as intensely, but it's there. Believe me. Yeah. Um, I think that, I, I think, Steve, you know this about me. We've talked about it before. I mean, you know, I have a, a precious stepson who returned after two tours in Afghanistan with what I will just describe as a soul wound. God's been working with him um, on that. PTSD is real. People process it differently. It takes different people, different periods of time. Recovery is uh, an interesting word to use in relationship to it. Um, it's not a sign of weakness. There's lots of factors involved. 
Um, if you want to understand PTSD better and how it feels, uh, The Bronze Scar is just an excellent book on the topic. You can find Steve and you can find the book at bronzescar.com. We're going to return to this conversation in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Praise God we don't have to hide scars. They just strengthen our wounds and they soften our Continuing our conversation with Steve West, we're talking about his book, The Bronze Scar. You can find Steve and the book at bronzescar.com. Steve, when we're talking about living with um, a family member, a loved one who suffers with PTSD, um, and we're trying to better understand how it feels, the the tendency to pull away and isolate and the tendency toward angry outbursts, those would be the two um, kind of points in time in, you know, relationally that I'd like for you to help equip us to more appropriately respond. So when my loved one um, is pulling away and isolating, what are they feeling and how might I best respond? That's an excellent way to look at it and ask because so many people that have been writing back to me and getting back in some way talk about how at least understanding the feelings uh, has helped them so much in relation to their loved one. There's just beautiful stories out there, and I thank God for those. But the thing about ministering to those or helping those, however you would put it, that you're around, that love you, uh, there's some things that we can do that make a big difference. And that is, first of all, try to understand what they're going through as far as the emotion that's going on. Uh, What happens with family members and loved ones is they take the brunt of the anger that you're talking about and the isolation. Uh, I have to admit that that the thing that I do most, my go-to mechanism, which is not good, but his reality is by withdrawing, by getting out of whatever I'm in in the moment, because in my mind, I just am saying, I can't do this. I can't discuss this. I can't be in this situation. And the problem with that is it's just like years ago. I don't know about today, but we used to, uh, have the term about sweeping it under the carpet. Mm -hmm. In other words, just kind of getting the things that are going wrong out of where they can be seen. Uh, The problem with that is, is that the more you sweep under the carpet, the more it has the opportunity to trip you. So it doesn't go away. It's there. So long term, it's not a good thing to withdraw. And if you see someone that or love someone that in the situation you're in at the moment maybe is either shutting down or withdrawing understand that that's a thing for them to say i can't do this Uh, it's affecting me inside so much it's affecting my my thinking uh and give them some space let them allow them to either back away for uh, just a little bit, but make sure you come back to it. 
that's important because that shows you care and that shows you also are looking for ways to be a positive influence on the person instead of making it worse. Can I can I say, hey, I, I just recognize that you need some time and um and I appreciate that. I want I want you to know that you're not alone and I and I also need for you to assure me that you're safe. Like is is that selfish Absolutely. of me to ask or is that communicating my you know, my heartfelt concern and my desire to get more resources to bear if that's what's needed now? No, not at all. Uh, The more trusting relationship you have with the person who has PTSD or something else having to do with trauma, it doesn't just have to be PTSD, but in the moment, the more that you start recognizing the signs of what's happening with them. And everybody has different signs, but saying something is perfectly, uh, I would say, actually, it's an excellent thing to do, especially when you're trying to learn how to deal with the situation because you're with those people all the time. And so asking is a great way to do that. You know, it's just like, uh sadly with suicide one of the things that we don't like to do is ask someone anything having to do with suicide but it's what has to happen and so if you have that trust factor then you'll be able to speak to them and now i'll be honest uh, there are certainly times when when i just don't want to talk about it and so if you approach me uh, in the situation of caring for me and we're in an intense moment in some way or another, uh, certainly try that. It's, it's the best thing you have. Uh, but if they continue to resist, let them go. Yeah. Let them do what they need to do at the moment. The most important thing is to try to come back to it at some time in the next few hours or that day so that you can actually gain more of an understanding of why is it that this was causing you to do this or that. And and like you said, anger is one of the big ones. Um, talk with us, uh, Steve, about the, the reality that PTSD is a journey. It's a diagn- like it's a it's a reality, it's a diagnosis, but it's also a journey. Yeah, it's actually a process. It is a journey. Uh, Well, first thing the journey is, is that you have to realize that you have something that's going on. And then you have to seek help, professional help. Trying to deal with it on your own is not going to change it uh, any more than if I have something medically going on with me that I can just let it go like a lot of people do, hoping It'll go away uh, because we need to be seeing what's happening both in ourself and in the reaction that others have. That's an important thing. Once you're becoming aware of what's going on with you or you're aware of what's going on with the person that you care for, uh, that makes so much difference. Mm -hmm. 
Just so helpful. Such a blessing. Oh, yes. Thank you so much um, for for joining us again today um, during this PTSD Awareness Month. Thank you for um, not only the first edition of the Bronze Scar, but we're going to look forward to the second edition as well. Thank you for um, continuing to be so transparent about your own experience and journey and coming alongside others who not only suffering directly from PTSD, but those of us who love people who suffer with PTSD and want to be, um, um, we want to be more well-equipped to love well. So thank you so much. We really appreciate it, Steve. Thank you so much, Carmen. Absolutely. God bless. You too. That's Steve West. You can uh, find him at uh, the website for the book, bronzescar.com. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. you, but uh, I was uh, desiring some time with the Lord this morning uh, just on the subject of peace. And so when I um, opened the scriptures and just spent some time with the Lord, um, these are some of the passages that um, I I spent time in. And so I just offer them up to you today as well. From John chapter 14, Jesus saying to his disciples, and to you and to me, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Paul says in Second Corinthians chapter 12, this is, you know, God saying to Paul and, and then Paul transmitting to us, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. If you're feeling weak today, the power of God is actually made perfect in our weakness. And if you're wondering today whether or not there's enough grace, whether or not God's grace is, is, is enough, let me uh, declare to you that his grace is sufficient. There's enough grace for you today. Um, and God's grace never runs out. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And from Jude, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Maybe that's a good walk-off for today. Let's just be declaring to one another, mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.